just want to thank my wonderful family, Kurt, and my kids, Christian, Kayton, and Kaylee, for being here, and the best pastors this side of heaven. Pastors Joe and Misty Coyne, love you so much. Just, um, I can't even get started with talking about them because I'll never get through the message, but they have truly been a blessing in my life. And um, as Pastor Misty has already told you, we're going to be talking about overcoming offenses tonight. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that an awesome, awesome topic? Yes, I think so too. Some of y'all might have been offended already just because Pastor's not up here tonight. So. But that's okay. If you feel that way, I'm not offended, okay? So as long as you understand that. Okay. So let's talk about what is really an offense. I, I actually look, looked it up, so nothing profound here. It says, one definition is like a breach of a law or a rule, like if you're playing sports or something, then you do something wrong, and it's called an offense. But what I really want to talk about is the second type of offense definition. It says, something that outrages the moral or physical senses, annoyance or resentment brought about by a perceived, can y'all say perceived, a perceived insult to or disregard for oneself or one's standard or principles. Some um, synonyms for offenses are irritation, displeasure, disapproval, vexation, um, trespasses or sin. Those of us that are Christians, we're familiar with the offense of sin. And so I want to just establish, first of all, a few things about offenses. So one thing is we can probably all agree that there are various levels of offenses. So for example, if somebody murders or, or robs from you or commits physical or sexual abuse, that's probably a little bit more severe of an offense than something like, you know, they took your parking space or sat in your favorite seat at church or called you out of your name. Most reasonable people would agree with that, right? Okay, and so we can also determine just based on the definition where we talked about how it's a perceived insult. So what does that mean? It means that offenses normally derive from an individual's own perception, which is something very personal. And so um, it, it's based on the senses, so how it looks or how it sounds or smells or tastes to us. So that's something that's very personal. So... Um, You've heard people say your perception is your reality because it's very personal to you. And so how you perceive it for you, that's really how it is. And so um, perception is often formed by our own values, like how we grew up, our belief systems, um, our own experiences. That's how we gain those things. Um, uh, that's how we perceive things to be. Um, so. I think it's safe to say that something that may offend you may not necessarily offend me and vice versa because it's very personal. But, and, and something else I think we should establish right up front is that it, it is really, it's impossible. There are some books out there that says that it is absolutely um, possible to not ever be offended. Could be, and, and you may be that person. I don't know. I, I'm not that person, I'm not there yet, let's just say that. But certainly, even if you uh, have arrived to the point where you can say, I am never offended, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to offend somebody. Whether you want to or whether you're not, whether it's intentional or not, it's impossible to go through life without um, 
being offended or offending somebody else. And even Jesus was an example of this, right? Jesus was perfect, but he offended the Pharisees all the time. Other Jews all the time, even people in his own, own hometown, he offended them all the time. And, um, you know, you, you too, you, you've been offended, you know. And, and here's something else about offenses. Because it's a perceived thing, somebody that offends you may not necessarily be doing anything wrong. For example, there can be somebody that is perfectly doing the speed limit within, within the law and doing exactly what they're supposed to do. But if you're in a hurry and they're riding in that, in that left-hand lane, <laughs> I mean, that's offensive. That's a fit. Maybe not to you all, because you all, you know, you, you're a little bit more mature. So, uh, but that, that can be offensive. Or if you get behind the, somebody in the grocery store who is well within their rights to use every single coupon that they have. Uh, Renee Sheely, if you, you listen, you know, but well within your rights to use it. But sometimes when you're behind that person and you have somewhere to be, that becomes offensive to you. Or if, if you're like me, you know, even at home, and your husband puts the toilet paper on the wrong way, which, by the way, the right way is over. Yeah. Hello? Doesn't everybody know that? So you can even be offended by... Mm, I know. The Holy Ghost came in right there. Um, you can even be offended by things in your own home. So I think we've established what offenses are and, 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 and what they mean and how they are derived. So now let's talk a little bit why. So we talked about the different levels of offenses, of some being severe. And there are things that have happened to us and absolutely um, can take some time to heal and to get over. So I don't want to focus so much on those things, although it's important to overcome every single type of offense. And hopefully you'll understand why. But um, tonight, I really want to focus on how we can overcome being so easily, easily offended. There's a scripture that says it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. And so um, one, one reason it's important to overcome being easily offended is uh, we have to understand why offenses come. Offenses, one reason offenses come is to pr promote divisiveness, disunity, and strife. What is strife? Strife is basically selfishness. Is there any selfishness in the world going on right now? And when you really think about it, um, a lot of times when we're offended about things, it's, it's based in a selfish, a real selfish nature. What, um, Joyce Meyer, I love her. She, she used to have a little clip that, what about me? What about me? What about me? Have y'all heard that? And, and, and it's, it comes from a very selfish place. And James 3.16 says, where there is jealousy and selfishness, there will be confusion and every kind of evil. Isn't that something? Because of our selfishness, it's like we really open the door and we give the enemy foothold to just come in with every single other type of foolishness <laughs> that, that he brings. Number two, offenses come to destroy relationships. Proverbs 18 and 19 says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Ooh, that's something. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. I don't think I have to expound on that. We, we know that, and some of you have had some relationships, and sometimes it's not even anything big. Just because of a, a small offense, 
some, some people are still mad because of something somebody did to them 30 years ago in high school. You know, um, and so, you know, we know that scripture has some truth to it. Um, number three, offenses come to fuel anger, which can lead to sin. So Ephesians 4, 26 and 28 says, be angry at sin and immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior, yet do not sin. So we see it's okay to be angry. We're going to get upset at things, but it says do not sin. And so here's where we start going wrong. It says do not let your anger, which is okay, cause you to shame nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. That's where we start getting in trouble. When we're going, ladies, some of us, maybe husbands too, when we're going three, four days and we can't talk to our spouse or we on the couch or send him on the couch or whatever the case may be, that, that's, the, that's the kind of stuff it's talking about. That's where we're starting to get over into sin where it, where it concerns being angry. And then it says, and do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin. What is that? What's, what's more sin? Holding a grudge. Nurturing anger. That means sitting there and just hunkering down in it and I'm just, I'm mad and doggone it. I'm going to stay mad, you know. And some of us have, have done that or we've had, to, to, um, had, had that at times and we've done that at times. It says, or harboring resentment or cultivating, cultivating bitterness. Number four, offenses and anger cause negative effects on your health. You know, I thought this was very interesting. I start, it, it says that when we are angry, it releases adrenaline where your muscles can tighten, your heart rate and blood pressure increase, um, your face and your hands get all flushed. Harvard University did a study, they said, um, which I found very interesting, by simply recalling, we, we, we're not even talking about an actual offense happening, but by simply just thinking about or recalling an angry experience from their past, it caused a six hour dip in levels for a antibody, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it's an antibody that is our cell's first line of defense against infection. So some of you all don't, ha don't have nothing to do with COVID. You sick because you're holding on to some offense and some anger that should have been let go a long time ago, okay? Um, number five, and, and to me, this is one of the more... Um, um, important ones, especially for us that are Christians, or for us that are Christians, is that offenses come to distract us from fulfilling God's purpose for our lives, and ultimately, and here, here's the big thing, saints, to destroy our witness. If the enemy can get us so distracted and so offended and so self-centered and self-absorbed and self-conscious and all of these things, self, 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 then ultimately he knows that it will destroy our witness. So I love that there's, um, um, Jesus gives a parable in Mark 4 about the parable of the farmer scattering the seed. Y'all remember that? And just real quickly, he talks about the seed um, and, he's, and by the seed, it's talking about the word of God, God's word to other people and to us. It says, some fell on the footpath, meaning some of the seed fell on the footpath where birds ate it. So that he likens that to when we hear the word of God, 
to immediately have Satan take it, take it right from us. He says, some falls on shallow, rocky ground where the seed sprouted up quickly. And, and he likens that to those of us who receive the word with joy, but it's on rocky, shallow ground. It has no root, so it doesn't last long. So just like tonight, <laughs> I might be talking about something, and it's just like, oh, it sounds good while we're in the sanctuary, but you're going to get on the highway, <laughs> and somebody's going to cut you off, and just like that, it's gone, you know? And so, and we've all, we've, we've all been there. So trust me, this, this word was for me well before I even got up here for you. So there's, there's no condemnation I'm trying to throw you away. And so um, I, wanna, I just want to read a little bit of that. Mark 14, 16, and 17. Actually, I'm going to start at 17. It just says, and they have no real root in themselves, so they endure only for a little while. Then when trouble... Or persecution comes because of the word, immediately they are offended or displeased. And so the word that God has given us on what, whatever that word is, we receive that word with joy and we shout about it and we're grateful about it. But immediately when something comes to, uh, when trouble comes, that can be an offense or any kind of trouble comes, then all of a sudden we become offended because of the offense. So it's, and it says, then they, and we stumble away and we fall, we stumble and we fall away for, from it. So our goal is not to be shallow or rocky Christians, but later on it talks about those um, down in verse 18 and 19, it talks about where some of the seed, the word of God fell on fertile soil. And that's where we want to be as Christians, fertile soil. It says, the seed that fell on fertile soil sprouted, sprouted and grew and produced a crop six, 30, 60, and 100 times as much as was planted. And those are the, that is those of us that hear the word, we accept it, and then we actually do the word. And so why, why am I talking about this and, and the importance of getting the word and not uh, being so shallow and so rocky and allowing the word to fall on our, our, our ears as shallow is because I think as, as um, or because the word tells us as a Christian, we have a responsibility to bear fruit. Mark, Mark 4 and 20 says, and those in the last group are the ones on whom the seed was sown on, on the good soil and they hear the word of God and accept it and bear fruit. We bear fruit. And because we know, we've already talked about how the enemy wants to destroy our witness. That's his main goal. And he wants to keep us from bearing fruit. What is fruit? Fruit is a harvest. And he wants to keep us from bearing fruit. And he wants to keep us from reaching the harvest, which are those that don't know Jesus Christ. And, the, and if, we can, if he can keep us in a fence and we can't show people the love of God, and we can't show people what it means to live and to be like Jesus, because that's what a Christian means. It's not just the name we call ourselves. It's because we should be always striving to be like Jesus. And so if the enemy can keep us so offended and so distracted by things that we don't bear any fruit, nobody sees Christ in our lives, then he's, he's won um, his goal. And so now I want to just talk a little bit about how to, and, I, and in my notes, I put how to resist being easily offended. But then I changed it. I said, how to stop 
being easily offended. Because I think we can just stop. I think as Christians, we know that God supernaturally helps us do whatever, whatever we need. He can supernaturally help us overcome anything. Matter of fact, he's already done it. It's already done. All we have to do is receive it. And we have to, and, and, and I think anytime God does something supernaturally, or most times, he, can, he works miracles all the time, but most times when God does something supernaturally, it also takes a natural side, that's our part, in receiving and walking through obedience of what God has done. And just a few biblical examples, you remember when um, Jesus healed the blind man, and Jesus spit in the dirt, and he made a little mud pie and put the little mud pie on, uh, yeah, I'm visual, I had to make it, yeah. He made a little mud pie and put it on his eyes, but then what, what did he tell him to do? He said, now go wash in the pool of Shalom. And see, if he wouldn't have gone and washed in the pool of Shalom, the, the supernatural was already at work, but there was an obedience part that had to link up, and so he needed to go wash. Or you remember when Peter and John um, saw the lame man at the gate called Beautiful, and he was begging them for money. And, and Peter said, well, silver and gold I, I don't have, but what I have I give to you. And then he says, get up and walk, and he holds his hand out. Well, if, if the guy never grabs his hand and, and tries to get up and walk, then he, he would not have received what God was already supernaturally providing. And then if we fast forward to Jesus, what, what, what has Jesus done? Oh, he's done the ultimate supernatural thing. How, how can us that are so filled with sin and guilt when we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, sin, God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross as a sin offering for our sins. He's already done the work, but even still what? He's not going to force our free will. He says we still have to what? Confess with our mouths, believe in our hearts, and then we can be saved. And so there's always a supernatural side, what God is, has provided for us, but most things, most freedom, most change, most healing, most restoration always takes place when both of these things are at work together. In other words, what am I saying, Nicole? God is not going to make us do anything. He, he, I, sometimes I wish, like, God, just shoot a lightning bolt or something just make me stop being so offended or make this stop bothering me. But the reality is that's probably not going to happen. I don't want everyone to say what God's not going to do. But that's probably not going to happen. We're going to have to make a choice. And Christians, this is especially for us. Some things we just got to make the decision that we're just going to stop doing. And we're going to grow up in the things of God. And we're going to mature in the things of God. And, and again, I, no condemnation to anybody. I, I'm talking to myself. I am definitely the first partaker in this. And we know that as we make that choice to follow God and we walk in obedience to him, he helps us. So, number one, how can we stop being easily offended? We have to choose to remember that Satan is our adversary, not people. That's right. Satan. We have one enemy, that is Satan. I know sometimes you feel like he is incarnate. And some of the folks that you deal with, wherever you are at work or some, some of you at home. But um, anyway, but yeah, we have to understand that. The Bible says, Ephesians 6, 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, 
but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Number two, choose to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And that, that, that slow to speak, I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still at work on that one, but I, I'm getting there. Some of you all are too. James 1 and 19, it just says, um, um, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And here's the reason why. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. As Christians, we're we, we just going to have to settle that. Even sometimes when we call ourselves having righteous indignation or, or being offended. We should, as Christians, we should be offended by certain sins and things of that nature. But when, when we, in our own human anger, try to, you know, come against certain things, or why are they doing this, and why are they doing that, or why are they promoting this, we have to understand that our anger just is not going to produce the righteousness that God, God wants us to have. And then later on in verse 22, it just says, but don't just listen to God's word. That's what we were talking about earlier. It says, you must do what it says, otherwise you are fooling yourselves. And I was listening to Craig Groeschel, and, it, and, and he, he said something very interesting to me. I didn't double check him, but I, I'm just going to trust him on this. He said, Jesus asked 183 questions in the word. But he, no, he was asked 183 questions, but he only answered three directly. And when I got to think about that, I said, yeah, because people would ask Jesus a question, and he'd go right into a parable. Like, what, wouldn't, even, wouldn't even acknowledge him. And sometimes he would respond to, with a question. And it talked about Jesus, and he says, Jesus asked others 307 questions because he was extremely others focus. And when you think about the nature of Jesus, that makes so much sense. He, he wasn't concerned about just always talking, you know, and, and so it says, um, then he goes on to say, he says, we as Christians, we have that one issue amongst hundreds that we believe that everyone else should be upset about, if that ain't the truth. Is that not the truth? Come on, come on, admit it to yourself. It's okay. I've admitted to myself, we had that one issue that we feel like everybody else should be upset about, but then we take it to the next level, then we become upset with other people because they're not upset about what we're upset about. You know, I know none of y'all do that, but you know. But anyway, so then, then, but then he says something very interesting. He says, so what about righteous anger or, or what we were just talking about? He says, it seems to always be about somebody else's sin. Isn't that something? And I had to think about that, and I said, it's the truth. You know, we, we as Christians or evangelicals, you know, we don't like this or we don't like that. But it, we don't ever talk about, you know, the lie we told or how we just finished gossiping about Sister Mary or any of that stuff. So we you know we don't get offended about those types of things. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think most, a lot of us are like that. Number three, choose to be patient with and show mercy to others. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3 says, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's fault. Why? Because of your love. And as Christians, we should always be showing love. Number four, choose to be a peacemaker 
and promote unity in every situation. Matthew 5 and 9 says, Blessed, spiritually calm with, with life joy in God's favor are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express his character. That goes back to our witness again, y'all. We have to be peacemakers because people are looking at us. Pastor talks about it all the time. Somebody's eating off of our tree. And if we're not back to what we talked about, bearing fruit, what are they seeing? Are we saying we're an apple tree, but we are, all, we, all we ever have is lemons or oranges? I mean, come on. We got we to gotta bear fruit. And number five, choose to forgive quickly, quickly. And stop dwelling on it. Proverbs 19:11, an understanding person demonstrates patience for mercy means holding your tongue. Come on, holding your tongue. When you are insulted, be quick to forgive and forget it. For you are virtuous, which just means righteous, when you overlook an offense. The Bible even talks about that before we pray. We're supposed to be so quick to forgive that before we even pray, it says Matthew eleven twenty four. I'm going to start it. Well, Matthew eleven twenty five says, but when you are praying first, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven can forgive your sins. And then we just have to stop um, playing it over and over in our minds. It's like a video recorder. You know, when you've been offended, it's almost like the enemy just keeps replaying it over and over and over. And one of the things that I really had to get past um, is then talking about it so much. You know, there's good, there's, it's good to talk to people. We have to have confidants. It doesn't mean we're gossiping here or there, but it's good to have somebody that you can, you know, download to and express things to. But you know, the Holy Spirit will give you that check when you're just talking about it way too much. And basically what you're doing is you're just dwelling on it. You're replaying it over and over, and, and you're med meditating on it. And then the mo most importantly, I think, way that we can overcome being so easily offended is as Christians. We have to choose to mature in our ability and our capacity to love. And to me, everything else we talked about hinges on this one thing. As Christians, we are called to love. Why? Because God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. And if we're talking about any other kind of love besides the love of God or love as God defines it, then we're really not talking about love at all. God commands us to love. He commands us to love Him. Him. He commands us to love ourselves, and he commands us to love each other. I like the way T.D. Jakes puts it. He legislates it. He legislates it. He, it's, it's a law. He wants us to love. As Christians, love is the foundation of who we are and what we believe. Everybody knows John 3.16, for God so loved. God so loved the world that he gave. Loving others is proof to other people. Again, this is our witness that we are God's disciples. John 13, 34 through 35 says, so now I am giving you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
So our ability to love others is not based on a feeling. We may not ever feel like it, but honestly, I believe there's no way that you can continue in God's love and mature in the things of God and ponder and chew on this word and not be changed from the inside out to the point where you will want to love other people. It's impossible to, to say that we love God and we don't love other people. It's impossible. And it's a choice that we have to make. And so what does true love look like? Just a few things. Love is patient. Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It doesn't look for record of wrongdoing. It doesn't look for injustice, but it rejoices in the truth. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance few takeaways from tonight and then we'll close it's just remember there's always there's going to always be opportunities to become offended just choose not to just make the decision in your heart I'm not going to do it I don't care if they're talking about the mask I don't care if they're talking about vaccination the present some of y'all some folks still mad from the 2008 elections <laughs> honestly I mean come on Let's choose not to be offended because what? It leads to anger, which gives root to sin, resentment, bitterness, and unforgiveness. Offenses come to distract us and to take us off course from fulfilling God's purpose and plan for our lives. And as Christians, if we consistently succumb to them, they will destroy our witness, which is what Satan really wants most. Kurt says a lot of times he doesn't want your car, he doesn't want your house your job none of that if he can take our witness if he can get you to act the donkey y'all know what I mean or to act the monkey whichever animal you act when you show off if he can get us to do that then that's what he wants most he feels like he's had a good day honestly and remember Satan is our enemy not people and we have to mature in our ability and our capacity to love other people with God's help as we submit our will to his will, which is his way of doing and being right, not our way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, God, for the opportunity, God, that you gave us to hear from you. Thank you, God, that you've touched our hearts on tonight, God, and you're stirring up within us the will to want to do of your good pleasure, God, to do that which pleases you and is pleasing in your sight alone. God, we know that we can do all things through you that gives us strength. You give us supernatural ability to overcome in every single area, God. Help us, God, to bear much fruit, God, to be a witness, God, into our worlds, God. Wherever you have put us and placed us or given us an opportunity to, to be, Father, we thank you, God, that we're atmosphere changers, God, that people see something different upon our lives and they want to know. And just like the man in the jails with, with Peter and, and what must I do to be saved? They're going to see something different, and they're going to want what we have. God, help us to be the salt and light that you have called us to be, God. And we'll forever be grateful. We love you, and we bless you for tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.